On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, angel investor Jason Calacanis joins me to discuss his long history with Tesla and Elon Musk, plus highlights from Elon's two big interviews this week, an update on Elon's efforts to make Tesla a private company again, and more. What's happening, friends? Ryan McCaffrey with you for episode 159 of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast for August 19th, 2018, as Daisy the Boxer Puppy joins me, as always, drinking some water, chugging down, (laughs) getting hydrated behind me. Uh, I am back after a week's vacation. Felt really, really good uh, to get away a little bit. I didn't really pay much attention to anything. Uh, I didn't check my work email. I casually kept an eye on Tesla stuff. I was I was reading Ride the Lightning emails from you guys. Uh, I'll get to some of those in a second with uh, the cool Tesla car names that a bunch of you sent in. But yeah, it was nice to get away for a bit. I did see, we'll talk about Elon Musk's interviews this week. He had a couple of very interesting uh, chats with people. But first, a uh, quick update. I want to let you know, for those of you who've been asking now, you guys know I've been using... Instagram, my my uh, dormant Instagram account, to post Model 3 pictures, to post stuff about the spirit of adventure, because I just, you know, like I said, I, I told you, I just kind of want to keep it off my Twitter, because that's mostly video game people, a lot of people on that, uh, some of them maybe wouldn't take pictures of of this nice new car the right way, whereas you guys know where I'm coming from on this, so it it's, uh, I'm using Instagram as like my secret Tesla Twitter, basically. It, it works because it's a visual medium. Instagram's visual. But anyway, uh, I've been posting pictures this week as I get updates from Immaculate Reflections. Jeff there is finishing up my car. I'm due to pick it up tomorrow, uh, or probably now as you hear this. So I'm picking it up on Sunday. Super excited about that. The horse, as it were, will finally return to the barn tomorrow. I guess if if we're going to keep this analogy going, uh, the horse has been away at the groomer <laughs> for some time, but I can't wait to see. I, I know Jeff's put uh, a lot, ton of hours, possibly, possibly even uh, approaching for sure, if not actually breaking uh, three figures in, in terms of number of hours he's put into the car, and I uh, can't wait to see his efforts. But very excited to get my Model 3 back tomorrow because I've spent a total of one day with it <laughs> so far. And for, some people have been asking, like, oh, is, you know, what's, why is it taking so long? It's, it's a couple things. It's, uh, it's, he, he had a pre-planned four-day trip out of town that he'd warned me about ahead of time, so the car wasn't worked on for four days. And then I was going out of town this whole week, so it just sort of worked out where it looks like it took a lot longer than it really did. But in any case, stoked to get it back tomorrow. And that is that. Now, uh, last week, I had asked you guys to send in your Tesla car names. You know, I told you about mine, the spirit of adventure and the reason behind that. And I'm super stoked about that name. I love seeing it on the Tesla app when I log in right at the top. And here's some other ones. I'm not, I'll, I'll just keep these anonymous because I didn't necessarily get permission from anybody to, to say what their car name was. But Grey Goose, I thought was fun. I hope that car is Midnight Silver Metallic. Genie. Well, I love this because, quote, my wish is her command, referring, of course, to the handling and acceleration there. I love that one. The Thunder Road, 
Not a Springsteen reference, but in reference to the spaceship the kids built in the movie Explorers. Thought that was great. We have uh, an Electra, like that one, of course. A couple of Eves, or Evie, depending on how, E-V-E, you know, depending on how you want to look at that one for uh, not only the, the, again, animated film reference, but also EV, electric vehicle, Evie. Magneto, uh, and this person noting, obviously inspired by the permanent magnet motor that drives the Model 3. This, probably my favorite one, all due respect to everybody, but this person named their car MITT, in all caps, M-I-T-T, for Musk Industries 3000, a brilliant play on Knight Rider there. I really love that one. Uh, Oreo Double Stuff, great, great one there because the car, it is a black Model X with white interior. So, uh, you know, so big, big car, big Tesla with the uh, black on the outside, white on the inside. Love that. FN2187, a.k.a. Finn from uh, the the current Star Wars trilogy. Vertigo with a capital T from a U2 fan. Ragnarok for video game fans out there after the airship in Final Fantasy VIII that turns into a spaceship. And uh, among other, Bishop from referencing Aliens, of course, some some sci-fi classic filmmaking there. So thanks to all of you who tweeted at me or emailed in your Tesla car name. That might be a fun segment just to do every maybe like six months, maybe like once or twice a year, just as, as more and more people bring uh, get their Model 3s and get their Teslas. So uh, one other thing before I get to the news this week, a neat tip that I, that I learned. This was new to me. I thought this was great. I wanted to pass it along. Credit goes to the Tesla Motors th- uh, Reddit user, Some Kittens, all one word, Some Kittens. Thank you for this tip. And that is, if you turn autopilot on, and maybe it's set to a low speed or whatever it is, and you want to, uh, instead of scrolling your your uh, right right steering wheel joystick wheel there, all, you know, up, 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 up to increase the speed up to, say, the speed limit, let's say it's 65 on the freeway, if you just tap the 65 mile per hour speed limit sign that's on the, that left side of your Model 3 touchscreen, you know, because the car knows the, the speed limits, then you just tap that and it automatically sets your maximum autopilot speed to 65. I thought that was a really cool tip. So thank you to some kittens on that one. All right, let's get two things. I've got a busy show here. And uh, this first segment is going to be Marquez Brownlee. He is a very, very popular, very successful tech product reviewer, YouTuber. His YouTube channel is huge. He has a P100D. He won the contest that Tesla held to make your own commercial for Tesla. And Marquez has uh, has gotten a sit down with Elon at the factory this past week. It's about a 17 minute or so interview. So I want I just wanted to pull a couple clips from this because quite honestly, I didn't want to steal the whole thing because that would be not cool. It's not like this isn't like the earnings calls where it's just sort of public domain and here it is and I can pull all the clips I want for you guys. I want to encourage you to check out the entire interview on Marquez's YouTube channel, which you can find at youtube.com slash MKBHD. That is his his handle there, Marquez Brownlee. Uh, so I've just got four clips. 
Want to just go over a few things and then, like I said, encourage you to go check out the rest. So here's Elon talking about how he gets people excited about Tesla. The thing I really focus on at Tesla is like really, really put all the money into and attention into trying to make the product as compelling as possible. So, because um, I think that the, really the way to um, sell any product is through word of mouth. So if, if one, somebody gets the car, they really like it, they, and, and actually the key is like to have a product that people will love. Um, and, and generally people, that, um, you know, if they're at a party or talking to friends or whatever, um, you'll talk about the things that you love. But you, you know, if you just like something, it's okay. You're not going to care that much. But if you, you get love the reactions from the highs and the lows, yeah, so you got to make sure people it, really love you're gonna, it. It's, yeah. you're going to talk. You know, and, and, and then that'll generate word, generate word of mouth. And that's basically how, how our sales have, have grown. Like we don't we don't spend any money on advertising or endorsements or uh, and um, so anyone like buys our car, they just bought it because they, they like the car. And you know, it's like it's genuine. Um, and no discounts. Like I, I actually even pay full retail price for my own cars. Okay. Um, yeah. And um, yeah, and they were really focused on trying to make the, the cars more affordable, which is re really tough. Like in order to make the cars affordable, you, you really um, you, you need high volume. So you need the economies of scale. And because the other car companies make a lot more cars than we do, they got way better economies of scale. And so as we're gradually able to build up um, and do do more cars, higher volume, then we can um, build them for progressively like less money, and then make um, make the cars available to wide wide range of people, but it's super. I must say, like the car industry is like a super. This is like super competitive. It's like one of the. It's like insanely competitive. What I found really interesting about that was his his thing about thinking that word of mouth is the key to uh, to selling your product, not advertising. Now, because we know that Tesla doesn't do traditional advertising, they never have. I've always been under the thinking, I don't want to call it assumption necessarily, but I've always held the thought that eventually they will advertise. And maybe they will, but this has me sort of second-guessing that a little bit, because if Elon's goal is to simply have a good enough product that it can sell through word of mouth, maybe they'll get to a point where they don't need to advertise. I mean, I still think they will, only because even look... Apple is the world's first trillion-dollar valuation company. They advertise everywhere, all the time, all across all mediums. So I think at, at time, Tesla will advertise, but I thought it was really interesting to hear Elon's uh, philosophy on that. And, and I think he's totally right about a big difference, there being such a big difference between a product that people like and a product that people love and will talk about at a party. I mean, I've... I now own a product that I'm doing a weekly t <laughs> a weekly podcast about. So and uh, so that tells you something I think. All right, so on the topic of a future even more affordable Tesla. This has come up before. Marquez asked Elon about it and uh, here's a little more color from Elon on that topic. I think I think in order for us to get to like let's say ultimately getting to like a a $25,000 car um uh, that, that's uh, that's something we could we could do, but it's probably if we really work really hard, I think maybe we could do that in three years. Does it come with time and scale, or just? Yeah, it's a bit of, it's a bit of both. Yeah, because like the the key to making things affordable is is like designing is it's like design and technology improvements as well as scale. Well, Elon did think long and hard before saying that it's maybe three years away. But elsewhere in the interview, if you check out the whole thing, Elon talks a lot about 
the Tesla having to figure out how to make two things at once and still make them great. And so I think even despite the fact that he deliberated on that answer about three years away for a while, I have to think it's going to be longer than that, especially, you know, you got to factor in Elon time. I don't mean to to make light of it or make a make, make a joke about it, but it is true. He has admitted Elon time. He He has joked about it himself. So... I have to figure that, you know, the, the next product we know is the Model Y. Uh, Elon elsewhere in the interview mentioned the pickup truck about trying to do that, and then the Roadster 2, and the semi-truck. I mean, that's four big products right there. So, okay, and he, or even say three and a a vanity project, If and I don't mean to call the Roadster a vanity project in any sort of demeaning way, but from a sort of economy, from a, a, a sense of scale and production uh, resor- resources required, it would be, you know, more of a vanity project than, say, the Model Y, which they want to sell half a million of a year or more. So um, I think it's going to be a little while before Tesla does get to a $25,000, call it a Model 4 for now. But uh, it's I'm glad to hear once again that it is on Elon's radar and it is something that they hope to do, that they want to do. But I think the next three years, I mean, we're, we're here in 2018. The next three years are going to be all those products I just mentioned. I mean, you're talking, again, Model Y, Pickup, Semi, and Roadster. That's four projects in about the next three years. That's going to keep Tesla plenty busy before they can get to... A, a Model 4 of sorts. So I got to figure it's more like five-ish years out. So we'll see, but glad it is still on the roadmap. All right, two more clips I wanted to play for you here. This is Elon talking in a bit more detail about track mode for the Performance Model 3, for the P3D. You know, we, we've gotten quotes from Tesla's engineers about this, from the road and track piece that I talked about last week, but we still don't know Entire, we don't have 100% of the information on exactly what track mode is capable of, what it will allow you to do. But here is Elon speaking about it a little bit more. And he actually, earlier in the clip, before, before you hear what you're about to hear, uh, he, he brought it up to Marquez here. So uh, here's Elon speaking a bit about the P3D's track mode. We're like basically a bunch of nerds here, so um, <laughs> yeah. um, obviously yeah, I don't want to give it away. Yeah. But like, like the you know, so for track mode, we want to like, uh, open up a lot of settings. Mm-hmm. So like, you can adjust settings, and it's kind of like an expert user mode, um, and and you can sort of um, adjust uh, traction control, uh, adjust like bat- battery temperature, um, uh, um, you know, brake. T- like you can basically configure a bunch of things, um, and it will tell you like, hey, you know, if you do this, it's a bit risky. Like you're gonna wear out your brakes a little sooner. It's like you might blow a circuit, you know. <laughs> like, like, but like it'll be clear. Like yeah. you know, um, like this you know. is this is the risk that you're taking. Yeah, it's kind of like if if you have a, a graphics card and a computer, you can like go in there and you can change the settings and you can like overclock things. Elon, it's okay. I'm a nerd too. I have I have made a career out of being a nerd. So uh, you're speaking my language when you talk about <laughs> when he talks about them being a bunch of nerds too and and opening up the the car to configure a bunch of stuff. But I love the comparison to a, a GPU, a uh, which is which you know speaks to my video gamer heart. 
but it's so so here we go. You, we learn now that you can configure a bunch of things, as to quote Elon: traction control, battery temperature. It's we already know from the road and track thing that the regenerative braking can be tweaked as well. So uh, I'm very curious when this will come out. Uh, it seems like it seems like it's largely there if they've been demoing it to the press. But I suspect, I don't know, I guess I'm in no, I'm in no hurry to get it. I'm not going to run right out to the track with it. But I know there, there are P3D owners that will run right out to the track with it and, and have a good time. So uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on when that's coming. But good to learn a little bit more about track mode. And finally, the last clip I wanted to play for you. Yeah, I know the Model X thing at this point has been, has been done to death by Elon himself. Elon has said many, many times, yes. We the huber, too much hubris with the Model X. We made mistakes. We got, but the way he phrases it here, and sort of the 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 bit of color he adds to this, I thought was was an interesting uh, way to to express this about about the mistakes made with the design and, and implementation and production of the Model X. So check this out. We had Model X in there, which. Uh uh, you know, it was, it was that, that was that was like that was definitely an exercise in hubris. Uh, the, the, now the X is an amazing car, and it's like, um, but it's like we kind of got carried away with the art. I hear it's very we, difficult to make. Yeah, we, we got carried away with the, with the, the carried away with the art and technology. It's like it, it, obviously you want great art, you want great technology, uh, but we did get a little distracted from our mission, which is to like advance the cause of, of electric vehicles, um, and, and it probably delayed us a little bit with the Model 3 as well. I just liked, I liked the turn of phrase there, that they got carried away with the art. I mean, the car is amazing. It's beautiful. It's, it's functional. I love it. I love the Model X. It wouldn't fit through my garage door, but I, so I, I won't, I couldn't afford it anyway, even if, but even if I could afford it, I couldn't fit it in my garage, but it's, uh, it is awesome. And it's really, it's at a point now where they have ironed out all the kinks and it is such a great, great vehicle. Uh, but, but really what jumped out at me there, he just sort of mentioned, said, he says it probably delayed the model three that, I mean, if he said that before, I feel like it's not been said quite so plainly and directly like that. So uh, that that's very interesting. I mean, you still have to wonder, I mean, could they, you know, they needed Gigafactory to be up and running before Model 3 could be in production. I mean, I wonder if it if it really did. I mean, he's not necessarily speaking about the release date, too. I guess I should catch myself there before I go too far down that rabbit hole of of taking him completely literally. I mean, he he could be referring to the paper design of the Model 3, the, you know, the engineering design of it, uh, not necessarily the actual production of it, because there were so many other factors, like all the suppliers, like uh, most notably Gigafactory, etc. But I still found that to be a very, very interesting thing he said there. All right, let me move on to the couple of other big stories this week. The next one is... Another interview that Elon did, this time with the New York Times. Uh, this has been getting a lot of attention for a number of reasons. It's, uh, it's, it's spawned op-eds and columns, editorials about what, you know, what is Elon Musk's state of mind? Is he okay? Uh, which is, you know, certainly not, you don't want, want that stuff written about you after you do an interview. It's not necessarily the best sign no matter what. Now, 
a lot has been has been made of Elon's portrayal in the media and his you know his relationship with the media and and I've certainly talked a lot about about that here and and it's it's certainly not the best relationship on either side I don't think I think there is you know there is issue there on both sides but you know this is the New York Times which is not it's not a they're not infallible and they're not uh, hyper partisan. I, I don't think you would necessarily class. Maybe some of you out there feel that they might be. I don't know, but I guess the point I'm trying to make is that I have seen uh, the reaction to this interview, which I'm going to just read you a few key excerpts from. The reactions to this have been uh, there, there's been a lot of people in the Tesla community that I've seen some discussion like, or well, wait a second, hold on, let's. This, this, you know, people that are, are not happy with this piece, that it, they feel it's, it's not fair to Elon. But I think what's important to keep in mind, and I'm, I'm someone, I am a journalist, I do, you know, my uh, weird little version of it on a daily basis. And by, I, I, don't, I don't mean that like as a slight against IGN. I'm just talking about, you know, I work in video game journalism, which is, which is its own little strange um, for, branch on the, on the journalism tree. But what I what I'm trying to say is that I think you know you you have to take the good with the bad. You know, for every for every seeking alpha article uh, that's that's clearly in favor of of slanting Tesla and is is has these con- contributions by short sellers and you know f- when it's it can be that obvious. And then there's you know there's the other there's I mean, hey, there's me. I'm a fanboy. I've admitted this readily and repeatedly. I've I've told you point blank. I am generally going to give Tesla the benefit of the doubt because I have studied them for many years. I believe in the mission. I I think uh, Elon Musk is a is a well intentioned, honest human being from from everything I have seen of him. So uh, the short version of what I'm now really long windedly trying to say is that. If you're not happy with this New York Times article, I think, you know, it's stop, take a breath. And I think, you know, it, they're, they're, it's not necessarily 100% completely accurate because the story does source people familiar with the matter. You know, there are not necessarily direct sources here. They're secondhand sources. But at the same time, the New York Times has a, has a long history and uh, of being generally, I think, a, a fair publication. And I think, you know... It, if you're going to not believe the bad stuff, uh, you have to, you know, you, have to, you just have to take it all on both sides. So I, I choose to see this New York Times piece as, as a reasonable representation. I'm not, you know, not necessarily going to take it as complete gospel, but here we go. So uh, here's a couple excerpts. Asked if the exhaustion was taking a toll on his physical health, Mr. Musk answered, quote, It's not been great, actually. I've had friends come by who are really concerned. And the, later the Times says he is. He said he had been working up to 120 hours per week recently, echoing the reason he cited in a recent public apology to an analyst whom he had berated. In the interview, Mr. Musk said he had not taken more than a week off since 2001 when he was bedridden with malaria. Quote from Elon, there were times when I didn't leave the factory for three or four days, days when I didn't go outside. This has really come at the expense of seeing my kids and seeing friends. 
Elon turned 47 on June 28th, the Times notes, and he said he spent the full 24 hours of his birthday at work, quote, all night, no friends, nothing, he said, struggling to get the words out. Later in the piece, the events set in motion by Mr. Musk's privatization tweet have ignited a federal investigation and have angered some board members, according to people familiar with the matter. Efforts are underway to find a number two executive to help take some of the pressure off of Mr. Musk, people briefed on the search said. And some board members have expressed concern not only about Mr. Musk's workload, but also about his use of Ambien, two people familiar with the board said. Mr. Musk has said he saw the tweet announcing plans for privatization as an attempt at transparency. He acknowledged Thursday that no one had seen or reviewed it before he posted it. And one final excerpt, quote, Another possibility under consideration for the privatization plan is that SpaceX, Mr. Musk's rocket company, would help bankroll the Tesla privatization and would take an ownership stake in the carmaker, according to people familiar with the matter. Uh, well, first of all, that last point, that I would not be unhappy to see at all. I, I would be thrilled to see SpaceX being uh, one of the larger forces uh, in, in terms of the control of Tesla. I mean, that's <laughs> who better, really, right? So I guess what I want to say about this, though, and, and again, I encourage you to go to the New York Times and read the entire piece, but I know you have to take any article with a grain of salt. Again, be it the Times, be it the Wall Street Journal, which has generally not been particularly favorable to Tesla, at least as as some people, as a lot of Tesla enthusiasts would see it, or or again, whomever, you know, who, who whatever the, the, the outlet. But this article did concern me a bit. Uh, the fact is, Elon has been going at this unbelievable pace for years now, years. And it's, and it's only gotten more intense. There are only so many hours in the day and he works most of them, but the intensity of those days has by, by every account I can see from listening to the earnings calls and interviews with him, et cetera, et cetera. The, the intensity of those long days has only gone up and up and up. And, you know, the, the battles are getting bigger the stakes are getting higher. And and let's be honest, you know, while Elon Musk is hardly an older guy, 47, he's also not getting any younger. It gets harder to be awake. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm uh, turning 38 soon, and it's it's there's a huge difference between 37 and 27, at least in in my personal experience. But I, I I'll say that I I really do hope that. Tesla can find a really great number two executive to take some of that day-to-day minutia and, and management of the company off of Elon's plate. The piece suggests, as you heard, as I read to you, that the board is searching now, so I'm happy to hear that. I mean, the, the, here's the thing, though. The part about Elon apparently consulting no one about the privatization tweet, that is what was most concerning to me in this whole piece. And it's not because I think he did anything wrong. Uh, I mean, sure, the SEC, I mean, they, they have to do their due diligence there. Uh, or, or not because, uh, really, for any reason, I just, I think if you, <laughs> even if there's no legal 
or regulatory issue with him doing that. You just, you can't blindside your executive team and your employees and your board with something like that. I, it just, that's, that's, that is one of the biggest of big deals that has financial repercussions for everyone involved, for everyone at the company, but from the board on down to, to every single employee. So it was, that was a little, that was a little tough to read. I, I don't know. It's, uh, I, here's what I'd love to see Elon take a week off with his kids. And, you know, I say that as someone, it, his free time and what he does with his free time is obviously none of my business. But the fact that Elon is quoted, directly quoted as saying that he's hardly seen his kids lately. So just as a dad myself, I I just feel a lot of empathy for that, for his situation and just wish he, you know, I, I just wish him more quality time with his kids you know if, if he could find it in himself to to get away a little bit spend some family time you know he might catch he might just recenter himself a bit catch a breather and come back healthier come back refreshed uh, this what I'm about to say you, some of you may roll your eyes at and or disagree with and that's fine you know it's just this is me thinking about it this is my opinion but I look at it like this I think, I mean, Elon is, he he's not just a dad to his kids. He's basically the dad of Tesla. He, I mean, he, he leads the company with his words, with his actions. He guides the company. He is the moral, not, well, he, he is the, he, the compass of sorts, the, certainly the, the directorial compass. Uh, he is... He is, at the end of the day, ultimately the one responsible for Tesla's health and Tesla's well-being. And because he hasn't hired someone to help him, there isn't that number two executive, there's no co-parenting going on here. He is effectively, and again, I, 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 I'm not trying to make a joke about this, he is effectively like a single dad of Tesla. And that's... The, the that is I am not a single dad. I am very fortunate to have a wonderful partner in in the the adventure and journey and responsibility that is parenting and it's tough enough. I can't even imagine how much how difficult single parenting is with a with a with a, a human life. I know a company's not the same thing, but you know it's it's got it's just it's a lot you know to to have all of that burden on him. We got you got forty thousand employees that are ultimately that you are ultimately responsible for, and so it's to me it's in everyone's best interests. I'm talking about his best interests, and again, as I see it, just my opinion. I'm not, you know, but his employees' best interests, the company's best interests, and even I'll say this: even our best interests as owners of these cars and enthusiasts of these cars and of this company that he makes sure he takes good care of himself. So, you know, maybe this is all just being blown out of proportion a bit off of this interview that, oh, what's, what's, how's Elon Musk holding up? Is, but, may, you know, maybe I'm making too much of it. Maybe I'm looking too much into it. I acknowledge that possibility. But if there is anything there, then I just hope that Elon can come to a place where he realizes, hey, I for the for the good of everything and everyone, I need to try to get some rest and and maybe uh, 
maybe, you know, just ease off the throttle a little bit to take a little bit better care of himself. So I wish Elon Musk the best because as again, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, an admirer of his, I'm a fan of his, I'm a fan of the company and the mission. And I want to see him and the company do well. That's, that's the, uh, for, you know, that's, that's the end of it. So we'll see what happens. All right. Speaking of privatization, Tesla's efforts there and Elon's efforts there, Elon posted a, an update in the form of a blog on Tesla's website. I'm not going to read you all of it. You're welcome to take a look at, at the whole thing, but I just wanted to pull out two parts of it. He sort of broke it up into sections, each with a question, sort of a, a basically a, a, an FAQ, frequently asked questions. So he says, he writes, why did I say funding secured? And then he writes, going back almost two years, the Saudi Arabian Sovereign Wealth Fund has approached me multiple times about taking Tesla private. They first met with me at the beginning of 2017 to express this interest because of the important need to diversify, pardon me, diversify away from oil. They then held several additional meetings with me over the next year to reiterate this interest and to try to move forward with a going private transaction. Obviously, the Saudi Sovereign Fund has more than enough capital needed to execute on such a transaction. Recently, after the Saudi Fund bought almost 5% of Tesla's stock through, public, through the public markets, they reached out to ask for another meeting. That meeting took place on July 31st. During the meeting, the managing director of the fund expressed regret that I had not moved forward previously on a going private transaction with them, and he strongly expressed his support for funding a going private transaction for Tesla at this time. I understood from him that no other decision makers were needed and that they were eager to proceed. I left the July 31st meeting with no question that a deal with the Saudi Sovereign Fund could be closed and that it was just a matter of getting the process moving. This is why I referred to, quote, funding secured in the August 7th announcement. He does also note later, in case you're thinking this or wondering, he says, quote, I would like for Tesla to continue to have a broad investor base uh, with regard to, you know, in case you were thinking, you know, you read that, which as I did and wondered, wait, would that mean the Saudi Sovereign Fund is owns the company? Uh, that would apparently not be the case. They would simply be one of the uh, stakeholders. And then the other part of this I wanted to read to you is his response in, in, to the question, what are the next steps? And he writes, as I mentioned earlier, I made the announcement last Tuesday because I felt it was right it was the right and fair thing to do so that all investors had the same information at the same time. I will now continue to talk with investors, and I have engaged advisors to investigate a range of potential structures and options. Among other things, this will allow me to obtain a more precise understanding of how many of Tesla's existing public shareholders would remain shareholders if we became private. If and when a final proposal is presented, an appropriate evaluation process will be undertaken by a special committee of Tesla's board, which I understand is already in the process of being set up, together with the legal counsel it has selected. If the board process results in an approved plan, any required regulatory approvals will need to be obtained, and the plan will be presented to Tesla shareholders for a vote. So there you go. Uh, this is ongoing. And it is causing a lot of 
Well, a lot of uh, anxiety at the very least, presumably with Elon himself, with certain board members perhaps, with certain shareholders perhaps, and it sounds like even potentially with the Saudi uh, sovereign fund, who clearly, at least in Elon's words, is eager to try and get a deal done on this. So uh, I'll be keeping a close eye on this as it continues to develop, as I promised you last week. So we'll see. I mean, it's uh, it's it hasn't fizzled. It is still a possibility. They Elon and the company appear to still be moving towards that option. So we'll see what happens. One final fun thing to close out before I move on to the Jason Calacanis interview, which I'll tell you about in a second. For those of you down in Australia, I know I've got a number of Australian listeners. Thank you all so much for uh, for listening. And you guys have a, unfortunately, one of the longest waits of any of us for your Model 3s because you're waiting for the right-hand drive cars and you're waiting for them to be built and sent to you whenever Tesla decides to start fulfilling your orders. Well, the good news is, as some of you have, uh, hopefully many of you have already learned, but I'm going to pass this along anyway, I, uh, cause I, is the, and that is Australia is getting some Model 3s for viewing. Not for test drives, but they will be on display, three of them. There's one in Sydney at Tesla Martin Place, one in Melbourne, at the Chadstone location, and in Brisbane at Fortitude Valley. So uh, you may have received an invitation for a private viewing. You would have had to have already RSVP for that by the time you hear this podcast, so I'm not going to bother giving you the details of it. But what I can tell you is that apparently after August 21st, which is just a maybe may be now, depending on when you're listening to this, the cars will be viewable to the public in those locations. So I just wanted to say, just pass that information along in case you hadn't heard it. You could go see the car. And I'm so genuine. I'm so happy for all of you in Australia who can finally see the Model 3 in the flesh with your own eyes rather than through a screen, which is, you know, they're, they're two, they're two very, very, very different experiences. So enjoy Australian fans of, uh, of Tesla, and I am eager to hear your responses. All right, next up, uh, I sat down this past week with Jason Calacanis, actually right before I, I went on vacation, and I did that not only because I'm uh, super fascinated by what, what Jason has to say, Jason, I've actually been following Jason on Twitter, I'll give you the quick backstory, I've been following him for a while, uh, and he, you know, he's just, he is a You'll hear him describe himself as a Tesla super fan who does not have any uh, position in the company stock-wise, but he is he has a long-term relationship with Elon and the company. He has uh, a, a, one of the first roadsters. He has a his signature series Model S number one. He has uh, he has all the Teslas. He knows Elon. He's 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 uh, he has just a unique perspective on it as someone who is an investor, an angel investor, and he watches Silicon Valley. He's been he's he's been on the you know, right there on the ground floor with Tesla this whole time. So, I thought it would be interesting to talk to him about his perspective because it's it's a different perspective than most of us. So, I hope you enjoy the interview. It is long. It's uh I had intended to go about 20-30 minutes with Jason, but we had a really great conversation and ended up being about 40 something. 
So uh, I hope you enjoy it. I'll be curious if you have any feedback on it for me one way or the other. You're always welcome to email me. And I will get back to the Ride the Lightning hotline next week. I've got your calls are piled up. Uh, I got to a bunch of them before I left, and then all the ones that came in over my vacation, I'll be getting to them this week, plus anything you send in this week. Uh, I'll get to that as well. You, of course, you know the drill. You can either record something on your smartphone and email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Again, please try to keep your call to about a minute, minute and a half tops would be really awesome if you can do that. Or you can call and leave a message anytime on the toll-free Ride the Lightning hotline. The number there is 1-888-989-8752. That's 1-888-989-TSLA. So we'll get back to the hotline next week. But for now, the Jason Calacanis interview, and then I'll come back and wrap things up for you after that. Enjoy. All right, it's uh, time for an interview, a little something special this week. Jason Calacanis is joining us. If you're not familiar with him, he is an angel investor, Tesla superfan. He's uh, been been on Tesla's radar or vice versa for, for quite some time. He is the author of the book Angel, Timeless Advice from an Angel Investor Who Turned $100,000 into $100 million. Jason, welcome. Thanks for having me. I guess it's the other way around, though. We're in your space. We are in my studio. Thank you for having me. But I have have good microphones, so I always tell people if they want me to be on their podcast and they're doing it in a conference room like I used to, come by my studio, and I have the This Week in Startup Studios in the Flower District of uh, San Francisco. Works out. And great microphones. Works out, absolutely. So... Uh, you have a long history with Tesla, and I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because sure. you're you're very vocal on on social media, and, and of course we see you on cable news networks talking Tesla a lot. CNBC, indeed. When uh, so? When did you first become aware of Tesla? Do you remember back? Well, I remember when they had that uh, Adam, I guess, car uh, that they were yes, driving the around um, Silicon Valley as like a proof of concept. And it was... It was Martin Eberhard, right? Yeah, I think so. And there were some other guys involved. And they had a frame that you would sit in, and they had batteries, and it was like this incredible off-the-line performance. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to get in that thing. But, you know, everybody (laughs) everybody in town knew about it. Yeah. And I had uh, Chris Payne, I guess, the guy who did... The documentarian, yes. Yeah, I knew Chris back when he was running an internet company. He took me for a ride, I'll never forget it, on Olympic Boulevard in Santa Monica, he had a um, EV1. Sure, the Chevy, yeah, the ones that were famously crushed, which he, of course, made a film about. Correct. And so I'm in that film and, um, you know, basically defending Tesla against the haters 10 years ago, which is still kind of my default mode on yeah. Twitter is defending against the haters. We'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and he took me for a ride and I was amazed and it only went 60 miles, but he had a charger at his office mm-hmm. and a charger at home. And so that EV1 could go, I think, 50 miles maybe, and it costs 50000 Yeah. Or something like that, $1,000 per mile of range, uh, which would then put like the Tesla cars at, you know, an average selling price <laughs> of like the Model 3 would be $300,000 or $315,000. Um, and I was just amazed at how fast it was. But he wouldn't have been able to do the round trip without having a charger in both locations, yeah. which sort of dates the conversation. So I've always been a fan of it. Um I remember when Elon was an investor in the company, he was like chairman, 
and he was trying to help them figure it out. So he's a co-founder, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he became kind of the solo founder because, uh, as you know, the first team that built the Roadster, and this is all very public knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I don't trade the stock, just so people know, um, although I am friends with Elon. You know, the, the, um, the original Roadster according to reports, was costing more than they were charging for it. And I have number 16 of the Roadster. Nice. And um, that car cost me, I think, 140000 or 150000 for, at the time, was supposed to be 200-mile range, but if you drove it like a sports car, it would be <laughs> Yeah. Um, and the big complaints about everybody had was, oh, you'll never, nobody will ever be able to afford it. Nobody will ever, will never have the right range, and it's too slow to charge. And lo and behold, here we are, four generations later, or really three, because the X and the S are kind of the same car, just different, you know, configurations. Sure. So if you consider it three generations of cars, you know, um, my Model 3 that I have, the, and I have a hun- number 100 of that. The yeah, I'm going to ask you about that in a few minutes, too. Yeah, I have that one, and it goes... 320 Three, miles? 310, officially. But. Officially, right. So I think more like 320 is probably what you actually get. Um, and that's like legitimate driving. So you could drive to LA and back. And then I just had my road, so I had the battery upgraded. And now it's like 350. Yeah, the R80 battery. The I had the R80 yep. battery, and it's pretty fun. Um, yeah. So what would you say, That's I love that origin story. I mean, that's, that's, that's all the way back. But what would you classify as your, your sort of aha moment with the, I need to get in with this? Well... I've always, I just to, if we're going to make it about me, I I, uh, I worked for Amnesty International, and I always had a problem with the human rights violations from the Middle East, and I always had a problem with oil and what it does to the environment. Yeah. So like Elon, I think, I, I think Elon cares very much about the environment, um, and I just thought, we have to transition off of oil, and if I can afford it, and at the time I had sold my company... I was driving a Corvette. I tried to buy a Ferrari and a Lamborghini, and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll just drive my Corvette for another couple of years while I wait for the roadster to be ready, and I'll just participate in the future because I know that when consumers buy those products, what they're really doing is the R&D for the eventual product. So it feels very good, I'm sure, for the 2,000 people who bought the roadster or so to see 5,000 Model S's coming off the line a week. So just to put that in context. Yeah, 5,003s, yeah. 5,000, I'm sorry, yeah, Model 3 is going off the line a week. They sold 2,000 cars in their first five years as a company probably. Yeah. You know, before the S came out. They probably sold, I think, 2,000 of those uh, Roadsters, maybe 2,500. Yeah, it was 2,500, as Was I it 2,500, yeah. the exact number? Yeah, but so, over, over four years. Yes. It's 2008 to 2012, so yeah, it's, so it's a, a long, long time. Yeah, a long time. And uh, that's what really made the Model 3 possible. And the Model 3 at 50,000 is a triumph of all triumphs. So in a way, what we bought with the Roadster was Elon and his team, the time and the resources and the enthusiasm to keep going and and change the world. And and here we are, 5,000 cars a week. Elon will easily be able to double or triple that number. The fact that people can't see the arc of history and realize, well, they were making 500 a year, (laughs) which is 10 a week. Yeah. It's just math, people. Like, yeah. if they made 10 a week in the start of the company, and now they're making 5000 a week, that is a 500X, right? Well, I remember when I got to, as, as no doubt you did, uh, I went to the 
the the beta event, the the open house yeah. for for the the Fremont factory after mm-hmm. they bought it from Numi, and they were the Model S production. You could walk the line, and it was just in that little corner of the yep. space. Now the space is full. Yeah, and you exactly. look you look what's happening now. Yep. When when did you first meet Elon? So I knew a lot of the PayPal mafia from back in the day, and I had moved to LA, and I had a lot of mutual friends with Elon, including Adeo and. Uh, a bunch of other folks, and I guess we met in '99, maybe 2000-ish time period, early 2000s. So very pre-Tesla. Yeah, yeah, before Tesla. Yeah. He was doing SpaceX at the time, and I think he had just started to do Tesla. The cars weren't out, and you know, I was I always laugh because now we go to a party, and if we were to go to an event or a party, like there would be 20 people around him and five around me. Now I write checks for a living, right? Like he doesn't invest in other people's companies. Yeah. So I should be more popular <laughs> theoretically, but every physics nerd and nerd on the planet wants to talk to him. Um, but back in the day we would go to parties or something or dinners and I'd have to introduce him to people and they didn't know who he was. Um, and that obviously has changed. He's become quite a celebrity. Um, and he uses, I think the celebrity for good. Um, and uh, you know, the, the, Work ethic that he has, just watching what he did with Tesla is just tremendous. You know, they, every step of the way, people have tried to stop that company. Oh, yeah. And these Still Tesla, today. And these Tesla shorts now, they're spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD, as we call it, trying to stop the company. And it's just like, really? Is this still going on? Because when we all bought our cars, GM and the oil industry were attacking Tesla relentlessly. Mm-hmm. So the car manufacturers and the oil companies just... Oh, range anxiety. Oh, right. You you're going to be stranded. You're going to be stranded. Your car is going to brick. All this stuff, and it's like, well, he said he's going to build a supercharging network, and there's one between you know San Francisco and L.A., yeah. and there's two between Vegas, and, and now all of a sudden, like you can hit four different superchargers on the way. <laughs> Throw a rock from, and hit one. <laughs> yeah, well, from San Francisco <laughs> to I think Tahoe, there's four of them. Yeah. And then the four of them have so many spots, and they are now doing, it was like, it's supposed to be 100 miles per hour added. So you're supposed to stop for an hour, have dinner, right. and add 100. Now I go, and it's like 300 miles are being added per hour, and right. stop for 20 minutes, and you're good. So it's pretty amazing. Um, there, there are really two amazing observations for founders and for people who believe in technology, which is this stuff can be done, and you will be tried, the incumbents will try to stop you, and the haters will try to stop you. It never gets easier. I got to think the last year of Elon's life, I know this, is probably the hardest. I mean, he's said it on conference calls and yeah, things. Yeah, I think it's the hardest. It's been. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of the things about entrepreneurship. For people who don't know, I angel invest, and I was a journalist before that. And everybody thinks it gets easier. Like, last year was Zuckerberg's, this past year has been Zuckerberg's hardest year. He, like, literally, his platform was used yeah. to swing the election right. <laughs> based on Russian interference in almost certainty it had a very major contributing factor, um, if not the contributing factor, uh, after the Russians. And so then you look at Elon, it's like, oh, the Tesla shorts are building a short position of 30% or something crazy? Like, it's never happened before. Like, yeah. and it, it's really amazing how the oil companies and the car companies were deriding him for five or six years. I used to go on CNBC and defend him versus the other car companies. Now the car companies are finally chasing him. <laughs> yeah. And now they're saying, oh, Elon's a brilliant guy and electric cars are obviously the future. But these are the same people who were talking smack five years ago. <laughs> and you know what? Like, I, I'm, I don't think the Saudis were talking smack specifically, but I think big oil didn't think highly of it. And then we find out that- Yeah, now they've got a big, big position. Investment. They've built a, yeah. a large position. So 
I think the world changes based upon founders, entrepreneurs never giving up. And if you, if I think about indefatigable, resilient entrepreneurs, Elon's at the top of the list. I mean, how, how would you characterize him f- as the guy? You know, you, you've spent a lot of time with him. The, the, the guy the public doesn't see. Yeah, you like? know, I never talk about my personal relationship with him, also because it, it would seem like I'm drafting off of his fame sure, and success. No. But I, I do like to talk about him once in a while, which is why I agreed to be on the podcast, when I think things are being treated unfairly. So yeah. I'm not a spokesperson for Tesla, so people understand. I don't have a position in Tesla. I do have... Mutual. I don't trade public stocks, but I have mutual funds that I'm sure have some Tesla position yeah. in them because it's a top yeah. stock. But I don't actively trade any public companies. In fact, when I sell one of my companies, a private company, and I get back stock, like when, when WhatsApp got sold, I got a bunch of Facebook shares, I try to sell it relatively quickly and mm-hmm. put it in a blended portfolio on Wealthfront. Putting that aside, um, you know, I, I don't think people knew he was very funny, you know, like a humorous <laughs> guy with a good sense of humor early on. Yeah. Uh, but he kind of on Twitter, let that out a little bit. And I think you see him like doing funny jokes, like, you know, ludicrous mode and the right. little Easter egg. So a couple I think of he, guest appearances on TV shows, right? Yeah. I, I think he's gotten a little bit more comfortable with all that. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. In fact, I'll, I'll tell one story that probably nobody's ever heard. I'm friends with a guy named Jim Brooks who created the Simpsons and Jim and I were playing cards together. We both like to play poker and in LA there's lots of like, you know, friendly poker games, not, big stake poker, sure. friends playing poker. So Jim and I made a friendship. He said, oh, should I get that Tesla? I said, yeah, you got to get it. Let me take you for a ride. I took him for a ride in my Model S because I had the first one in LA. And that's all it takes, right? Yeah, no, you put somebody in one of those cars. So he <laughs> loves it. and he, So he goes bonkers for it. Then whatever, a year goes by. It's like, do you think your friend would want to be on The Simpsons? I was like, I don't know. Let me text him. Uh, and so then we all went and had a drink. I introduced Jim to Elon. And then they did that space Elon was yeah. on uh, The Simpsons. So the total sum of my contribution uh, in the history of Tesla is uh, <laughs> buying four cars and arranging for Elon to be on The Simpsons. Before before we talk a little more about, yeah. about Tesla, the company, there's one more on, I'm curious with, with regard to Elon. What, what do you think separates him from other Silicon Valley CEOs that you've, that you've dealt with? I don't think a lot of people give him credit for being a brilliant engineer. Um, you know, people like, Talk about him being like P.T. Barnum and all yeah. that kind of stuff. I think he added that skill later. Like he wasn't doing key- keynotes and those kind of things in the launches originally. He would just, you know, make the cars, right? Yeah. He wasn't like going on stage. But, you know, then he started doing these like big production launches and, oh, here's the semi. We're going to take the Roadster 2 out of the back. So right. I think he added the showmanship uh, stuff later uh, to build excitement. But he he's a brilliant engineer, just first and foremost. Like he, he can sit there and solve a problem um, and I think he's a very inspiring leader, you know, which is necessary. And in terms of, I mean, it's probably why we're friends, in terms of ability to strategize and lack sleep and be able to, you know, uh, you know, work ethic and stamina, I think he's just way up there. And, you know, it takes a lot of stamina to run these companies and you have to have a high and threshold. And he's running several. Yeah, you have to have a high <laughs> threshold for pain because... People don't understand what the CEO job is. The CEO job is to hire the smartest people you can find to solve incredibly complex problems. And the reward for doing that job is that those people come to you when they can't figure something out. (laughs) So let me say that again. You spend an inordinate amount of time and money hiring the most brilliant people who then come to you when something is truly messed up and they can't (laughs) fix it. So then your job becomes to help the smartest people in the world solve the problems they can't solve on their own. Which means if you have 
100 executives, let's just say you have 20 executives reporting directly to you, and they, and then there's 100 lieutenants under them. Right. That means of those 120 people, two or three of them are going to have just really difficult tasks every uh, on a given day. That means every month, all of them will have a difficult task. Yeah. <laughs> if you work 30 days a month, that means every day there's four or five problems that the smartest people you hire couldn't figure out. It's exhausting. That's an interesting you, way of characterizing it. Well, nobody sees this from the inside because yeah. all you see is the earnings calls and you know private jets or salaries or net worth, and you, it dehumanizes people. I think people like to dehumanize uh, people who are famous, like they do with celebrities, they do with business people as well. Yeah. And Steve Jobs becomes a caricature, or Elizabeth Holmes becomes this you know psychotic thief doing you know Theranos, and she's deranged and changing her voice. Like there are human beings behind this, even if in Elizabeth Holmes' case is criminal, and Steve Jobs' case, you know, he might have been a jerk to some people at some point in his career. Who knows? Um, they're humans. And, you know, the ability to deal with bad news and problems and negativity, especially if you're in a space where people are actively voting to have you fail. There's lit. I mean, it's hard enough to just do what I just described. Yeah, absolutely. Four or five people a day are coming to you with the biggest problems they can't solve. And that's now, just on the inside. That's on the inside. Right. Then on the outside, you have 30% of shareholders voting against you or whatever it is for the short position, and they're spreading lies. Right. So you have people spreading lies. I mean, you're watching these deranged Tesla shorts lose their mind in public, and they're sending drones over the permanent tent yeah. that is a production line. GA4, yeah. Yeah, GA4 is a testament to how much they want to win. Any reasonable person in the technology industry or entrepreneurship would go, that dude is clever. He added a production line for a very small amount of money instantly in his backyard in a tent that's permanent. It's not a pop tent from, you know, Walmart. It's, <laughs> it's a legitimate, like, per permanent tent. That's brilliant. That shows that's a commitment to winning and excellence that you just don't see and creativity. Yeah. And then the short spin. Absolutely. Oh my God, the company's building cars in a tent. And it's like they're building some cars in the tent. That's a permanent tent. That's a permanent structure or semi permanent, whatever you want to call it. And that car that came out of it, the person from the Wall Street Journal who reviews cars, who is the most respected person, said is the most otherworldly yeah. car he's ever driven. Yeah. And then the person who breaks down cars. And is the most respected of any person who deconstructs cars and says what the profitability in the construction is, says this thing's got a 30% margin and is a, is a thing of beauty. Right. Okay, what more do you need to know? <laughs> like, and, and my car, yeah. uh, which I've been waiting for over two, two years for, just on the reservation list, yeah. came out of that tent. Yeah. And it's, it's, the, it's the greatest thing I've yes. ever owned. You hear that from a lot of Tesla owners where they'll be like, this is the thing that's bring, brought me the most joy in my life. That's why I tell people, you can't bet against the world's greatest products or the world's greatest founders. If somebody builds a category-killing product, the momentum that creates is extraordinary. So when you look at the iPhone, it makes no sense that people buy, I have right in front of me the Pixel 2, yep. and I have my iPhone 10. Yep. Pixel 2 is cheaper, Pixel 2 is faster, Pixel 2 is, Pixel 2 is better. Thinner, better battery life, everything is better about the Pixel 2, it's faster. When I load apps, my iPhone is grinding. My iPhone 10 that I pay 1200 for, I think this Pixel costs like maybe 700 So it's like, it's not half price, but it's a third it's off. It's a substantial difference. And then I'm sitting here in front of my new Pixel 2, Google, 
Chromebook, Pixelbook, incredible. Yeah. $1,600, faster than my MacBook, which costs 3000 <laughs> So I'm like, okay, wait a second. Those other products are able to command such a massive margin, and people will pay for them because they're beautiful and category-killing. Even when Google eventually catches up and has these beautiful products, that's what you have to realize about a company um, like Uber or Tesla. When you make the category-killing product, man, does that help. When you delight customers that much, they will be loyal to you. Oh, yeah. I own four Teslas. I know people who own two Teslas. They'll never go back. They'll never yeah. go to well, a car. Well, and that's, you know, you... Uh, Just like BMW and Porsche owners, you know? Absolutely. The, so, you know, you, you have all the cars. So you called, uh, you got a lot of, of play in the news uh, a year ago when you, when you called the Model 3 the iPhone of cars. What, yes. What kind of, now a year later... It's obvious. As production has 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 ramped yeah. now and continues to ramp. Oh my god! I what got kind that of disruption do you think this car is capable of? Oh, it's massive. I mean, here, when I said it was the iPhone of cars and that it was a Porsche, or is it Porsche? Porsche? They like I've, I I they found like out say? on my podcast people the, the enthusiasts prefer Porsche. Porsche. Yes. So these Porsche, I said it's a it's a Porsche for the price of a Prius, and. It's the iPhone of cars. Both of those things are true. And actually, the guy from the Wall Street Journal who gave her his Dan Neal, yeah. He, he used, I think he'd used the term Porsche, like drives like a, oh no, the other guy who does the- uh, Sandy Br Monroe? Yeah. He yeah. said it's like, it drives like a Porsche. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's what I said. And <laughs> the reason is, you get this crazy acceleration, as you know, on a car that's smaller mm -hmm. than the Model S or X. So it feels snappier. Yes. So it- driving you're like is this thing a prius or is it a porsche it feels like a porsche and it was obvious to me at that point when i'm getting over the air updates of new features constantly and this thing is so fast and so much fun to drive and the self-driving is getting better and better and it, it's flawless on the 280 if you want to be a student of technology and history it's very simple most people in their minds don't understand how to conceive of a thousand x not a thousand percent increase, but a thousand X increase. Yeah. Well, if you think of a 10 X increase, well, that's, you know, if something was, you know, uh, one times, you know, 10, now you're at 10, and then you do 10 times 10, you're at 100, then 10 times 100, you're at 1,000. People can very easily understand those kind of transitions. Sure. It's an easy jump for the human mind to make. What they don't understand is when you start saying 100x or 1,000x. It doesn't seem possible, but when I hold up these phones or these laptops or that car, the amount of battery range, the amount of power and technology, GPS, uh, computing power, GPUs, these things have all experienced you know, 10x, 10x changes multiple times, with the exception of batteries, which are slower. They're like doubling every, what, seven years or something? Mm -hmm. uh, and the cost is halving every couple of years. So you know, the potential of this car is for it to be the greatest selling car in the history of humanity, for them to have, you know, many plants around the world, and for them to be self-driving themselves and competing against Uber. You know, and I'm going to major, Uber's the greatest investment ever made, but if you ask me 15 years from now, Uber and Tesla are on a collision course. Hmm. It's not in the next five or 10 years, because yeah. level you really need level four autonomy for these cars to work. All the self-driving tests right now it's going to be a long time before we can take that safety pilot out of the seat. And we saw with the safety pilot in the Uber tragedy where a woman got hit, the yeah. Uber driver was playing Candy Crush or messaging or something stupid like that. Total, 
totally, um, you know, not doing her job and she killed a person. Mm -hmm. And the, the cars are not ready to be level four autonomy. It's going to be years. And it's going to take really perfect conditions, perfect weather, perfect grid, and nobody crossing at intersection. So I could see self-driving working in Austin in a grid or Phoenix in dry weather. Like yeah. It's going to work fine in those places. But anybody who has any of the self-driving technology in their car, whether it's Mercedes, BMW, Honda, or Tesla, and Tesla just won and beat everybody. I don't know if you saw that report. The self-driving tests that have been done, is just, they crushed everybody, the Model 3. Be fine on the 280, fine on the 405, but just it's you know, when you start driving down Santa Monica Boulevard and a homeless person jumps out in the street or somebody leaves their bicycle or something, it's just going to be harder to yeah. to, to too, wrap many too many variables. So that's 10 years out, 15 years out. So, what I see is you know, Tesla becomes an energy company, a transportation company, and all energy is provided through Tesla power packs and homes and solar. And then all these cars are just riding around anywhere, giving people instead of uh, an Uber X ride costing $7, you know, $3 or $2 even. And that's where, you know, he, he might be able to make a million cars a year. And then all of a sudden transportation is just Model 3 zipping everybody everywhere. Is, is, uh, is the energy side of their business have the potential to be bigger than the car side of their business, do you feel? What do you think? I don't know. It's hard. I, I just don't, I personally don't see, I mean, I hope we can all go solar quickly, but I don't see uh, America specifically letting go of their addiction to cars anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I so. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Those battery packs um, that they put in uh, Australia and some other places. Yes. I think that business is probably underestimated in a major way. The solar stuff, I would put the solar panels aside for a second and just say like, imagine a grid or your home being able to store energy when it's cheap and use it when it's not. Yeah. So if you were just able to have a battery pack in every home, on these hot summer days, the idea of having brownouts or problems, we have a battery to be gone. And you yeah. would your battery would sip, you know, energy at night to fill up and then you'd use it during the day. And when it's cheap at night, you know, more would be used. And it's so obvious to me that like this, these batteries are going to keep coming down in price. The gigafactories are going to be around the world, and every home and business will have a, essentially, which is an un, under, uninterrupted power supply, UPS, that we use right. for servers. <laughs> That's good. Just a good analogy. Why on earth, if those things were $500, which eventually they'll be, I don't know what they cost now, but a couple thousand for a power wall, we'll have to look it up. But you know, if those nine, things, I think maybe. How much is it? Nine, maybe. Nine thousand. Seven, nine. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, if those things become super cheap and they have a lot of density, right? Which is what's happening yeah. every couple of years. They you know get half the price. You know, why wouldn't they be in every house and every apartment and just or every apartment building? Like we'll never ever lose uh, energy. Right, yeah. and we'll be able to put solar panels everywhere eventually, and those will keep getting cheaper, and they'll be be more beautiful. So, I think what people consider Tesla, like a car company, an energy company, it's all going to, um, you know, eventually become this energy plus mobility, and I think it will start to look more like Uber than it hmm. does Tesla. When in, but that might be fifteen years from now, to be honest. In your long history with Tesla, was there ever a moment where you thought they were? They were done for. Like they're well, they not going to make it. I know. I mean, Elon has spoken a, yeah. a few times, but uh, I'm sure, curious from your your vantage point. Well, that was the story of which uh, he's told publicly, so I can I can tell it. We were at a dinner, and everything was going wrong for him and Tesla at that time. He'd blown up two rockets at SpaceX, and 
Right. The Christmas Eve, this is a Christmas Eve story, isn't it? Christmas Eve is when he closed the deal. Right. This is a month or two before, maybe two months before, we were having dinner. We were having, just the two of us were having a steak. We drove our roadsters to Boa, I think. Just the two of us, one-on-one, had a quick steak after work. And um, I said, how's it going? And he said, not good. I said, well, tell me everything. Is it true you only have like a month of cash left? Because I can, you know, I can loan you a couple million bucks. You know, I don't have tens of millions, but I can loan you a couple million or whatever. He's like, don't worry, don't worry. It's no big deal. Um uh, I'm going to try to figure it out. I said, he said, but it's not true. I said, oh, that's great. He goes, yeah, we only have three weeks left. <laughs> he was like, we don't have two months. We have like two or three weeks. So I was like, oh. And he had, the rockets were not working. And he said, uh, at some point, like, I was like, he was really depressed. And I hadn't, you know, I had very rarely seen him, you know, really concerned. And he was very concerned because he's a pretty brave guy. Um, and he's big, big risk taker. And he was, I was like, hey, pal, you know, is there any good news? And he showed me on his BlackBerry to date the conversation. He started swiping through on the little ball on the BlackBerry, the clay models of the Model 3 oh, that yeah. he was making. And he said, don't tell anybody, but this is the sedan. And I said, wow, it looks like a just incredible car. What do you think it's going to cost? You know, this one's 140, so it's going to cost 100. He goes, I think I can make it for like 50, maybe 60. So the, like, the S then you're talking the about. The S. The S, yeah. So I said, Wow. That's awesome, dude. If you make that car, you'll change the world. I, I remember saying that to him at that hmm. point because I had seen it. I just like, wow, yeah, I can't right. imagine having five because you know the roads there was two seats and it was hundred fifty thousand. I was like, a five seat car that goes up against a five series or a Mercedes, like five hundred, whatever. This is like a really it would change the world. Um, and he said it would have like a two hundred mile range, maybe, maybe even three hundred miles someday. So he like literally predicted everything to me at dinner. And so I went home, and the next day I wrote two checks for fifty thousand dollars, and I wrote a handwritten note. Elon, or E, um, beautiful car, I'll take two. <laughs> Good luck changing the world, Jason. Yeah. And so I sent him the checks, and uh, he said thank you, and it was very flattering. And I said to my wife, I just like, kissed the two checks, and I was like, that's going to pay for three days of payroll, or two days of payroll at <laughs> Tesla, and I'll never see that money. We're going to lose 100 grand, but we're helping our friends, so yeah. it's worth it. And my wife laughed. She said, you're a good friend. Two years later, oh, a couple of months later, he closes the Christmas Eve funding. That's a pretty famous story. And then um, I get two emails two, year, two years later, back to back. Ding, your resignation number is- The car's ready, yeah. Serial number <laughs> 000001. The next one, your car number is serial number 000073. So he gave me the first and the 73rd. Uh, and I immediately forwarded it to him. I said, don't give me the number one. I'm sure that's what you want. He's like, oh, I got so many of these things. You know, I got the- the, the prototypes and everything, it's cool. I want you to have it because you were the first person to put an order in. And so, he, you know, it's, he's a, I, I don't like to talk about our personal relationship, but I will say he's one of the most loyal, hardworking, kind people I know. I mean, I know he's also a hard ass. People say that, like, <laughs> it's hard to work for, whatever. I don't work for him. We're just friends. But he's a very loyal, hardworking person, I think. Very, yeah. He cares very deeply. And you see that when you see the sacrifices he makes, you know? Um, and so that's how I wound up having serial number one of the Model S signature 01. And then Steve Jurvetson, who was the investor. He has founders series. He has number founders one. number yeah. one. So they made 20 founders cars. And Elon offered me one of those, but I was like, no, I want the first off the line for signature yeah. one. That's cooler than being. So you've still 20. got that car, right? Yeah, I have it uh, under a cover. Somebody offered me a quarter million dollars for it. I said no. <laughs> what did you take, signature red or what color? It's black. Black, okay. Black, yeah. I have, That's I was Elon's the first, preference as well. Yeah, it looks better in black. I have the first orange Roadster, and orange is the proper uh, color. Very the orange. Very the, orange. Yeah. I have the first one in, nice. uh, uh, that was ever done in orange. And when they saw it, like everybody at the showroom was like, that's what this car was meant to be, orange, not red. He's got the candy apple red, custom yeah. paint job. That was Well, like, it's in space now. Yeah, but that, that, that doesn't look as good as my orange one, and I'm not sending mine to space. I'm keeping it forever. But I'm um, not getting, I'm making the official announcement here. I'm going to get the Roadster 2. Yeah. 
but I'm not going to buy the other new Tesla cars. So I'll have five out of six. So My you're wife, done after the Roadster? No Model Y for Jason? No, I'll definitely get the Model Y, oh. but that hasn't been announced yet. Um, but I'm not going to get the semi-truck. I'm making the official <laughs> statement right now. My wife is not letting me buy. But you can load the other cars in the back of it. it, it they don't, I don't think they make the back. I think they just make the well, front. Well, somebody will make somebody the back. Somebody make the back. Yeah. But I was like, my wife's like, no. I was like, would it be cool if I had the semi? I could drive that down the highway. Right. Honk the horn. I can. She's like, no. There's no room in the driveway. Uh, it's kind of funny. Oh, man. All right. I'll let you go in just a second. But uh, the last thing, you, on this sort of note you're talking about, Elon, you, you, you tweeted recently, you said, I told you all like a hundred times you don't want to bet against E. There are massive sources of capital out there. This is talking, of course, about the uh, move to privatization that, yep. that Elon has, has, uh, has uh, vocalized. About. Yes. Um, there are massive sources of capital out there from Massasone to Norway to Saudi Arabia to dozens of others, Apple, Google, et cetera. Tesla would have a wonderful reception in private markets while getting attacked less. So what I want to ask you from your unique perspective here uh, as an investor and as, as someone who, who knows Elon and Tesla very well, how might this move to going private look if it were to happen? Who, who could be the big stakeholders here other sure. than Elon Musk? All right. So I have no inside information, just to be clear. And I don't trade the stock, so I have nothing at stake. So when the shorts hear this and they lose their minds and start CCing the SEC on my Twitter feed and are like, SEC, Jason Calacanis said this. It's like, I don't trade the stock and I have no information, period. Um, if someone like Elon and Tesla, because yeah. I saw this with Uber, having been the third or fourth investor in Uber, someone like Elon at the state of that company right now were to send an email, let's just pick a number. This is just my personal experience. I haven't talked to Elon about it. I haven't talked to, actually haven't, I've been away. I haven't talked to Elon since this $420 thing has even been announced. So I have yeah. literally no contact with him and no insights. But I will tell you, if you email the top 10 people on the short list of people who have tens of billions of dollars in the world, 10 out of 10 would take the meeting with him. I would guess seven out of 10 would make an offer. Mm -hmm. And I would guess he could easily have some subset of that participate in doing it. Okay. That's my personal experience. That's what I think the reception would be. I don't know if that's true. I, don't, I haven't talked to any of those people. Sure. But I'll tell you the two categories of people there are in the world right now. You have sovereign wealth funds, Saudi Arabia and Norway. Norway is a trillion. Saudi Arabia is two trillion. United Arab Emirates is a billion or two. And you can go right down the line. There's just tons of these pools of capital. Where if you have a trillion, 20 billion is not a big deal. Obviously, you can sure. do math. And 20 billion, if your wealth comes from oil and you want to make the transition, to spend 1% of your chip stack on having a hedge against that is a very easy bet to make. Makes sense. Norway has the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world, is my understanding with their trillion dollars. Saudi is, is based upon private oil holdings and the kingdom's holdings. So I'm not exactly sure why that's not bigger, but it's supposedly $2 trillion, But I don't think it's a sovereign wealth fund. It's owned by a family or some combination. Putting those two aside, um, then you go over to the, to the um, financer, financiers. You have Masayoshi-san, who put $10 billion into Uber. If you put $10 billion into Uber, you think you might want to put $10, $20 billion into Tesla? I think so. I just said to you, I think they're on a collision course. Yeah. 15 years from now, you'll be either calling a Tesla or calling an Uber. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
if you built an electric self-driving car, I think you can build the Uber app. And I don't think you can build the network. And I don't think the self-driving is going to work for 15 years on level four, level five, where people can be asleep in the car and have no steering wheel. Yeah. But eventually we'll get there. And then who knows? Maybe somebody figures it out earlier. It could be seven years, but it's not sooner than seven. Sequoia Capital, I think they have a $10 billion growth fund now. Um, Apple, Microsoft, $60 billion. Apple, $250 billion. Google, I don't know if they're at $100 billion right now. Facebook, I mean, just Amazon, right down the line. Now, I would rather see it be a, a private company that's independently run. And that seems to be what Elon's telegraphing from his tweet. But imagine if four of those people put up $10 billion each. Now yeah. you would wipe out the debt and take it private. Right. That seems incredibly easy. So this is the thing. When you're dealing with dipshit, you know, anonymous troll accounts who are pretending that the tent is fake news or the tent is a fake tent or something or that the cars that are in transit are not happening and the people who are writing the reviews who love the cars are wrong, like... These people are deranged and they're trying to make money by spending fear and a certain doubt. Now, it's totally fine to short a stock and bet against something you don't believe in, I guess, but I don't think it's fair to spread this fear, uncertainty, and doubt. If you want to say the tent is not real or something like that, we'll just get an official comment from the company. Right. You don't have to go fly a drone over it and then pretend like there's nothing. Like, they're like, look, nothing's happening in the tent. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, yeah, it could be the lunch break. Who knows? Exactly. It could be a Saturday. I don't know. <laughs> So this, like, fake news from fake accounts, uh, and then busting, they busted that one guy, was it Montana? Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he, he hung it up after uh, Elon. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> you're re if you're going to make these bets, like, use your real name. You know, like, it's not like the people working at Tesla are using pseudonyms to right. pump the stock. Then you shouldn't <laughs> use pseudonyms to deride the stock. Just, it's such an important company, like, just let them work, and let the... Chips fall away. May. I do understand that betting against these things is part of the process, but now we're going to be left with, if this keeps happening, there'll be no public companies anymore because when Dell did this, Dell went private and, you know, if Elon takes Tesla private, I, I think Twitter goes private. You know, I think eventually other companies will. I mean, they might be too big right now, but you could see other companies say, you know what? Screw it. We're going to be private. So you, you, you think... Uh the odds are, you, you feel like the odds are pretty good that Elon and Tesla will succeed in taking the company private? If they want to, I think it's a 100% chance they can. And, and they, he's clearly telegraphed that he wants to. So. so I don't know why this is even a discussion. I mean, I, I told this to a couple of shorts, like, and I, I obviously tweeted it publicly, like, you guys are very dumb. Like, did you not see Masayoshi-san put $10 billion into Uber in yeah. secondary? He didn't even invest that money primary. He just bought our old shares. Like, he bought out original investor shares to be on the cap table. Uber, Tesla, these are very comparable companies. They're both the future of transportation. They're both, I've, I would say they're exactly peers in terms of their importance. Like, I think Uber's far ahead in terms of, you know, certain things. And then I think Tesla's far ahead in others, you know. One's far ahead in revenue and I think the number of cities they're in and then in the other one's far ahead in self-driving technology. So... And let me uh, a physical car. <laughs> let me uh, let's let's get you a little promotion here because my audience may not know you. So yeah. it's, uh we'll we'll let you go here. But the book. What am I going to learn from Angel if uh, I if I read that book? So I, about eight nine years ago, I started Angel Investing because my friends at Sequoia Capital said, "Here's some money. Go invest it. We'll split it fifty fifty. Uh, whatever the returns are." Yeah. And I said, "Oh, don't you guys get paid like thirty percent?" They're like, "Yeah, but it doesn't matter. This is just like some." 
you know, like little side project we're doing to just, you know, get some more companies into our orbit quicker. Sure. And we think you're a smart picker. So they picked a dozen people and they called it scouts. I started angel investing. I hit three unicorns in the first seven investments. I hit three more since then. You probably know some of the companies, Robinhood, Wealthfront, Desktop Metal, Thumbtack, uh, Uber, and Datastacks. Uh, and then com.com, I think, will be the seventh unicorn. We'll see how they do over the next year or two. But they're on track to do that, I think, if they want to um, not sell out and keep building. Hopefully, they keep building and go public. So I found myself being one of the top five angel investors of all time and realized nobody's ever written a book about it. I mean, there's one book, but it's by somebody who's never had any success as an angel. So it's like, you know, it'd be like... The opportunity was there. It'd be like me writing about how to be an all-star NBA player. I mean, I, <laughs> I could write a book about that, but I wouldn't have any first-hand experience. And it might be worth reading, but it's just not going to be very good. Um, so I, I wrote the book. HarperCollins published it. Just got translated to Japanese. It's been translated into seven other languages. And it's just a very candid, honest look at how angel investing works at the earliest stages. When we did the Uber investment, there were two cabs on the road in San Francisco and like less than 10 employees. Yeah. When we did Thumbtack, it was two employees backed by Marco's parents, and then me. I think I was the second <laughs> investor or third. So we were very early in a lot of important companies. We got lucky, um, and over time, we got good at it. And now we invest in 50 companies a year. And so the book just takes you through my playbook and how you can participate in private companies. And as I said, and as we know with Tesla, they're going private. Yes. You're not going to be able to invest in the best companies. And when you do invest in them when they go public, um, you know, it would probably be the equivalent of year three or four or five of a public right. company in the past. So when Uber goes public, you know, at a hundred billion or fifty billion or whatever it winds up at, that would be like, you know, the fifth year of Google or something. You know, like or the fifth year of Facebook mm -hmm. or fifth year of Amazon or something. They're going public later, so the opportunity really is to get in on them when they're private. It's still, you know, listen, if you bought Netflix or Amazon as a, or Google as a public stock, you're happy, but. I do think the world is changing with more private companies and more more people have access to them. So the SEC has just announced that they're going to have another qualifier for accreditation. Right now, if you want to be an accredited investor and invest in private companies, you have to be accredited, which means 250000 a year in salary, 200 or 250, and then a million or a million in net worth outside of your house. That's a high benchmark. It's only 6% sure. of the country. Um, they're coming up with a new definition, which will be sophisticated, essentially. You'll be able to pass a test like you would for driving a car, I guess, huh. to be okay to invest in these high-risk private companies, basically teaching you things like diversification, et cetera. So the whole entire United States is going to be able to, you know, 300 million people plus are going to be able to invest in private companies in the coming years. And so that's why I've been so enthusiastic about investing in the early ones, because I think in the future, I might have a thousand angel investors come alongside me and invest in the next Uber or Tesla. Yeah. Plenty to learn in that book. Yep. Uh, the book Thank is you. Angel, and uh, we can follow you on Twitter, at Jason, yes? Yep, at which, Jason uh, on Instagram, jason.tumblr. Uh, yes, and uh, we know, so the, the future owner of the New York Knicks. See, I follow you. Well, That's, that is <laughs> Jason my... Jason Calacanis. That was my goal. Anybody's better than James Dolan, right? So you're oh, a Knicks so. fan. Well, that's a whole other podcast. Hey, yeah, that is another <laughs> podcast. Uh, Jason, sure. uh, thanks for sharing your experiences with the world of Tesla and Elon Musk. I appreciate it. And uh, All right. we'll, hopefully we'll see you again. All right. Thanks for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jason Calacanis. I actually really had a great time with that. He was very kind. I reached out to him, and he was very, uh, very kind to, to give his time on that. He's a busy guy. So hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, Jason. And that will bring us 
to the end of another podcast. Again, the Ride the Lightning Hotline will return next week. For now, a quick mention of a few things. Uh, AbstractOcean.com is a great source for Tesla accessories. Lighting kits, various upgraded lighting bits and pieces are their specialty, but they've got lots of other stuff as well. Check them out at abstractocean.com and use the coupon code RTLPODCAST at checkout to get 20% off of your very first order. And then, of course, Immaculate Reflections. I am very eager to see their work for myself, Jeff's work for myself, when I pick up my car tomorrow. But Jeff, of course, uh, the Bay Area's premier detailer. You want to keep that new Tesla looking new or maybe even make it look better via paint correction and then keep it that way with paint protection film, ceramic coating, whatever it is you want to do. Check him out at irdetailing.com. Also on Yelp or Instagram at those sites slash immaculate underscore reflections. And what else? Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. It's the same thing on Instagram, like I talked about at the top. That's going to be my secret Tesla Twitter for all of you guys to, uh, if you want, if you, if you want to look at pictures of a red model three, you're welcome to, to jump on there anytime. And of course we've got my referral code. If you're buying a new S new X or a performance model three, you can use my referral code now through we got about one month to go through September 16th is the, the uh, end of the, your opportunity to get unlimited free lifetime supercharging. After that, it will become a one year of free unlimited lifetime supercharging. So if you're buying a Tesla and you want to get that perk, use my referral code. It's Ryan73014. So you can either give that to a sales advisor if you're talking to somebody at a Tesla store, or if you're buying and ordering online, just type in in your browser ts.la slash Ryan73014, and that will take you to the design studio with that unlimited supercharging baked into your order. I want to say thank you to all of the Patreon producers, the kind folks uh, backing me at that level on uh, on Patreon. If you would like to contribute on Patreon or just consider it, just take a look at the page. That's all I can ask. If you enjoy the podcast, you find it useful, informative, maybe even a little entertaining from time to time, uh, Patreon is, a, is an awesome way that you can uh, show your support. Totally optional, of course, but it's there if you see fit to do it. Patreon.com slash Tesla podcast, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And let me say hi real quick to the newest Patreon producers, Lyle Austin and Joel Sapp. Thank you both so much for your support. In addition, the rest of the crew, Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassiopo, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Matthew Para, Michael Lester, Robert Maracle, Jason Chalukas, Emotion Rentals, Richard Ouellette, Tim Hyde, Marcus Mayenschein, Lee Sweet, Lars Hoffman, Peter Chalet, Harold Plug, Kenneth Martin, Michael Callahan, Rome Strack, David Vakil, Ulrich Lassa, Luke A., David Kittle, Eric Randolph, David Nondal, Luke Miles, Stefan Joris, Gabriel Salais, Jerry and Mary Smith, Kedafuki, Brian Hope, Rick Sinta, Bill Royko, Jeremy Harris, and Scott Gillis. Thanks to all of you for your continued support. Uh, I mentioned last week that every episode of this podcast is now on YouTube. 
If you need to find it easily for one reason or another, and YouTube's easier to, if you just look up something real quick, you can do it that way. Or for whatever reason you want to listen to the podcast on YouTube, it's there. Uh, And you can subscribe in traditional podcast form. That's, of course, just a free way. Subscribing just means it'll download to you automatically each week. That's all that is. So do that through iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or you can pick up individual episodes or the RSS feed for this podcast at teslapodcast.libsyn.com. I think that is everything. That's the usual list-o plugs. So I'll end it there. This has already been a super long podcast. Thanks to all of you, as always, for your support, however you do it, whether you're just tweeting me a nice thing, whether you're uh, just listening, emailing, Patreoning, whatever it is, uh, I'm just so grateful to have anyone listening to me uh, just enthusiastically ramble and recap and analyze all things Tesla on a weekly basis. So for a now snoozing Daisy the Boxer puppy, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 159, and I'll see you back here, of course, Next week, every Sunday, 9 a.m. Eastern Time is when the new episode drops. Take care. Or I should say, happy electric motoring.